We're glad you're joining us for a new beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast supported by Harvest Partners. Get more encouraging audio content when you subscribe to Pastor Greg's daily devos. Learn more and sign up at harvest.org. Now I want to put two words together that don't fit. Almost Christian. Today, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us make sure our faith is sincere, our faith is genuine, and we're not holding back in our relationship with the Lord. You can't be an almost Christian. Now, you may be on your way to becoming a Christian, but either you are a Christian or you are not a Christian, but you can't be an almost Christian. That's an oxymoron, almost Christian. This is the away from home and had that nagging feeling you might have left the stove on or forgot to lock a door or left a curling iron plugged in. If you don't go back and check, you start thinking of how things could go horribly wrong. We want to be sure about certain things, don't we? Well, today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us check ourselves when it comes to the sincerity of our faith in Christ. When it comes to matters of eternity, close enough isn't close enough. Well, let's grab our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 26. The title of my message is The Almost Christian. The Almost Christian. Almost. That's an interesting word, isn't it? It's a word that means slightly, short of, not quite, close, nearly. It's often associated with delaying something. Uh, Dinner is almost ready. Or Jenny almost fainted. That's how we'll often use it. Sometimes it's because of confusion. So you walk into a restaurant, you take your seat, and the server comes and gives you a menu, and then they ask, do you know what you want to order? Well, it all depends. If I'm at Cheesecake Factory, I am literally overwhelmed. I Googled this because I wanted to confirm it. The menu at the Cheesecake Factory has 21 pages of 250 items. Do you know what you want? No, I'm overwhelmed. That's why I like In-N-Out Burger. It's like burger, (laughs) burger with fries, mall. Chick-fil-A, similar, chicken sandwich, chicken nuggets, maybe a mall, actually a chicken flavored mall. No, not really, but (laughs) simplicity. So you'll say, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost ready to order. Or maybe you're a husband and you're going out to dinner and you call upstairs to your bedroom and you ask your wife, are you ready? And she says, almost. You know what that means, right? One hour more. Okay, one. Or you're, you get a call from your boss. Says, we're having a meeting. Where are you? Oh, I'm almost there. Which really means you just woke me up out of a dead sleep. And almost, it's a word we use a lot. It's a word that is associated with procrastinating. Now I want to put two words together that don't fit. Almost Christian. You can't be an almost Christian. Now, you may be on your way to becoming a Christian. You may be closer to believing than you've ever been at any other time in your life, but either you are a Christian 
or you are not a Christian. But you can't be an almost Christian. That's an oxymoron, almost Christian. An oxymoron is, well, jumbo shrimp. That's an oxymoron. What is it, jumbo or shrimp? Or freezer burn. How do you get burn from a freezer? Or uh, government efficiency. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Airline food, another oxymoron. Is it really food? I'm not quite sure. So we are introduced in this story to what we could describe as an almost Christian. His name was Herod Agrippa. And he was listening to the Apostle Paul preach to him. Now when we hear the word or the name Herod, which is a name and a title, uh, we get confused because there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. <laughs> Number one, there's the big daddy of them all known as Herod the Great. This is the Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was made aware by the wise men that one had been born in Bethlehem who would be the king of the Jews. And this wicked Herod uh, had all the little baby boys in Bethlehem killed. And then he was the leader of a, of a horrible devilish dynasty. After him came Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist. After that, Jesus was told that Herod Antipas wanted to speak with him. And Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, you go tell that fox, I'm gonna keep casting out demons out of people and I'm going to keep doing miracles and on the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Ultimately Jesus did appear before this Herod but it's worth noting he did not say a single word to him. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate had an extended conversation but to this wicked Herod Jesus did not say a single word. Then there was a son of that Herod, Herod Antipas. He's the one who slew the apostle James and had Peter put in prison. He's also the one that gave the great speech and the people cried out, it's a voice of a God and not of a man and God struck him down. Okay, that brings us to the Herod we're gonna be looking at and that would be Herod Agrippa. Now in one sense it was Paul appearing before Herod but in another way it's Herod appearing before Paul. Because the judgment he would render toward the apostle would effectively predict the judgment that would be rendered toward him. Coming back to Pilate, we could say Jesus appeared to Pilate. But we could more accurately say Pilate appeared before Jesus. Because Jesus was God walking among us. And so that's really the situation before us. And so Herod Agrippa was deeply moved by what Paul said and he says in Acts 26 verse 28, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Another translation of that is, are you actually trying to talk me into becoming a Christian in such a short time? <laughs> and the answer was, absolutely. That was Paul's hope that this Herod would come to faith. So Herod was close, but not close enough. I suggest to you there are a lot of almost Christians in our nation today. In fact, I would say there are more almost Christians than non-believers. Because when surveys are done, there's always a very high amount of people that profess to believe in God. A recent survey found that 87% of Americans believe in God. Some we hear of the rise of atheism. Yeah, there are atheists, but 
most people out there believe there is a God. Three quarters of Americans believe in miracles. 73% believe in heaven. 71% of Americans believe Jesus is the Son of God. 71% of us believe uh, in angels. Seven out of 10 of Americans say Jesus rose from the dead and they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So I'm thinking, what? Where are these people? I'm sure not seeing them. But then a recent Barna poll revealed the following, quote, half of Americans who call themselves Christians don't believe Satan exists and one third are confident Jesus sinned while on earth. Okay, now Houston, we have a problem. So we have a lot of people saying they believe in God. They say they believe in the Bible. They believe in angels. But yet they're saying they don't think there's a devil. And they think Jesus sinned when he was on earth. Which is not true of course. Because he was the sinless son of God. Then 25% of others who claim to be Christians. Dismiss the idea that the Bible is accurate. And all that it teaches. So clearly there's a lot of confusion here. Look. Our faith uh, that we have in Christ is a package deal. Uh, God offers it to you. Here it is. Uh, this is not something we're gonna vote on. This is your opportunity to believe or reject it. But you don't pick and choose what you like. This is not a la carte Christianity. But it is for some people. And these are what I would call almost Christians. This is why Paul poses this challenge to those who claim to believe in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Or are you just pretending to be Christians when you actually are not at all? Hmm, powerful question. Reminds me of a story of a guy that needed work. He heard they were hiring down at the local zoo. And uh, so he went and applied and said, I I'd like to get a job here. They said, sorry, sir, all the positions are filled. But then the person looking at this man said, you know, you're a pretty big dude. A uh, lot of muscle there. I, I'm gonna say something. I hope you're not offended. But our gorilla died the other day. And we ordered a new one. And he's on his way. But I was wondering if we made you a custom gorilla suit. Would you be willing to wear it and pretend to be a gorilla for a few days? We'll pay you really well. And then when the new gorilla comes, you're, you're good, that's all. And the guy said, oh, okay. So they made him his custom gorilla suit, he put it on, he went to the gorilla area and he felt really self-conscious, no one's gonna believe it. And so he walked around a little bit, pounded his chest a couple times, the crowd started to form. By day two, he's getting excited. He, he's enjoying it, he's swinging on the vines, everyone's believing, he's a real gorilla. He gets a little excited and swings too far and lands right in the middle of the lion's cage. Now the lion is approaching him quickly and the guy in the gorilla suit is, doesn't know what to do. If he yells out help, people will know he was a fraud. Finally he, he just yells, help! And the lion says, shut up stupid or you'll get us both fired. <laughs> so he was pretending to be something he was not. And there are people today that are pretending to be Christians when they are not Christians. Again, check up on yourself, 2 Corinthians 13. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Or are you just pretending to be Christians when you actually aren't at all? Pastor Greg Laurie will have the second half of his message in just a moment. 
It's encouraging to hear from listeners who are impacted by Pastor Greg's teachings. Hi, Pastor Greg. I'm a 65-year-old guy who grew up during the same era as you and have a similar background as I also came from an alcoholic family. I simply want to say that I feel really a special bond with you, Greg, and I'm sure there are others who share that with you as well. Thank you for sharing your testimony, and I feel blessed to be exposed to Harvest Ministries. My wife and I are also Harvest Partners who want to help you speak the Holy Spirit's guidance all over our world, as it is needed so much in these times. Thank you again. It is a privilege to bring these studies your way, and we're thankful for our Harvest Partners who make them possible. Would you consider partnering with us so they can continue? Make a donation online at harvest.org. That's harvest.org. Today, Pastor Greg is presenting a fascinating message called The Almost Christian. It's a good warning for those masquerading in their faith. Let me say something that might surprise you. It is possible for you to pray, keep the Ten Commandments to the best of your ability, attend church on a regular basis, be baptized, and not necessarily be a Christian. Now, if you're a Christian, you should do all these things. But you can do all these things and not necessarily be a Christian. The outward can be without the inward, but the inward can never be without the outward. Does that make sense? The outward, those things that we do, can be without the inward, but the inward, if you're really a believer, will never be without the outward. Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. For instance, a person can pray and not necessarily be a Christian. Polls show that nine out of 10 Americans pray. 76% of us believe that there is a heavenly Father that can be reached by prayer. The reality is when, when you're in trouble, most people pray, right? I know I did before I was a Christian. Well, if I was in a crisis, I called out to God. I even called out to Jesus. I had no relationship with him. But that doesn't mean you're a Christian. That just means you're calling out to God. Because in the story of the book of Jonah, a great storm came and all of the sailors called out to their various gods, right? They all had their gods and people will call on God in the day of trouble. But when the crisis passed, do you still call out to God? Listen, you can say your prayers and never pray. You know, we teach people their prayers. Say your prayers. Learn these prayers. When you're in trouble, pray these prayers. We teach our children prayers. Say your prayers before you go to sleep. Remember your prayers, we say. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Is that a good prayer to teach a child, really? I think you might be traumatizing that little one. What are you really saying? You know, you might die tonight in your sleep, but uh, just pray, God, take your soul. So good night, sleep tight, and don't let the bed bugs bite. Bed, what, bed bugs? No, instead of teaching a child a prayer, teach them how to pray. And God says in the book of Isaiah 59, The arm of the Lord isn't too short to save. His ears not too dull to hear. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So he will not hear. So if you're living in overt sin, don't expect your prayers 
to be answered. The psalmist says in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Listen to this. If you're living in overt sin with no desire to repent, you are not a Christian. If you are living in overt sin with no desire to repent, you're not a Christian. Now you're saying, well, Greg, you're wrong on that. Everyone struggles. I, I didn't say if you're struggling with sin. Overt means you're living this way. You're not gonna change the way you're living. You have no intention of repenting. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Are you a Christian? Do you pass the test? Or are you pretending to be a Christian when you really aren't at all? Hey man, judge not lest you be judged. Okay, hold on. I am judging you. Because the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. And if we don't see any spiritual fruit in your life, why should I believe that you're necessarily a Christian? Listen, a person can make visible change in their life and not necessarily be a Christian. In the book of Acts, remember we read about Simon the sorcerer. And apparently he became a believer. He was baptized. Everything looked pretty good. But then he tried to buy the gift of God that he saw uh, being utilized at the hand of Simon Peter. And Peter said, your heart is not right from God. Turn from this wickedness. And I think that this Simon guy, he was a magician. He was deceiving people. Uh, he was going out of business when Peter showed up and the gospel was preached. And so he sort of adapted. He, he wanted to get whatever it is they were doing so he could stay in business and keep misleading people. This happens all the time. Uh, people become a Christian, I'll put that in quotes, when they need something. Politicians, oh yes. They come calling, they come knocking. Yes, I uh, would like to come and address your church. I, I too am a believer, really. I've never seen any evidence of that before, but you know, because they want to get that evangelical vote. Sometimes a person, their career may be fading. Well, it's time to record a gospel record. It's okay, record a gospel record. But are you doing that because you believe it or you just want to boost your career? You see, you can do these things and not be a Christian. I mean, think of Judas Iscariot. He, he spent three years hanging out with Jesus. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He with his own ears heard the Sermon on the Mount. He knew Jesus was perfect and flawless, yet he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He was so close, yet so far. Yes, you can appear to be a believer and not be a believer. So coming back to our story, Herod Agrippa, the king, one of the Herods, is coming to town. It's a big deal. And his sister Bernice, they arrive with all the pomp and circumstance that surrounds a visiting dignitary. He, uh, Herod would have been arrayed in a royal scarlet robe and uh, there were Roman soldiers around him and they're dressed uniforms and, and every eye is on them as they take their royal seats. And Paul's standing there thinking, well, look who just walked into my net. He wasn't intimidated by the power, the authority, or anything else about these two people. He saw them as people to reach with the gospel. And really as we read now what Paul says, we learn how to share our faith with non-believers. Acts 26 verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, you may now speak in your defense. And Paul with the gesture of his hand started his defense. I'm very fortunate King Agrippa 
that you are the one hearing my defense against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you're an expert on Jewish customs and controversies. Now listen to me personally. Okay, now drop down to verse nine. I want to point out something before we read this. This is Paul's testimony. It's a powerful story. Hard to top, quite frankly. He often began his messages with his testimony. And everybody has a testimony. You have a testimony, I have a testimony. And one testimony is not more valid than another because it's more drastic or radical or whatever. Here's all of our testimonies in a nutshell. Once we were blind, but now we see. Right? Jesus Christ has changed our lives. But Paul's story was pretty unique. So he shares it now. Acts 26 verse 9. Speaking to Herod Agrippa. I used to believe I had to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many of the believers in Jerusalem to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them and they were condemned to death. Many times I had them whipped in the synagogue to get them to curse Christ. It shows how hard Saul then called was. He would whip people to get them to deny their faith and curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them, Paul says, I hounded them in distant cities of foreign lands. So one day, I'm on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to fight against my will. I said, who are you, sir? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He loved to tell the story because it built a bridge. Here's the great thing about your story. Uh, it's a great way to preach to a person without preaching at a person. Does that make sense? In other words, as I tell my story, as I heard a guy say, Jesus said, you're for me or against me. So instead of me starting with a sermon, I start with my story, but in effect, I am kind of preaching to them. So it's showing them I wasn't always the way I am now. Christ has changed me. That's the place to begin. Good instruction from Pastor Greg Laurie today here on A New Beginning. He is presenting a candid message called The Almost Christian. Now, if you missed any part of this presentation, or if you'd like to share these thoughts with someone else, you can listen to the study on our website anytime at harvest.org. Just look for that title, The Almost Christian. Or subscribe to our podcast by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. You know, the book of Revelation is a rewarding study of Bible prophecy. And in a book from Pastor Greg, he paints such a full picture of its authorship, the time in which it was written, and the circumstances in which our redemption takes place. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. John was one of the apostles that walked with Jesus Christ. In fact, in his gospel, he described himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. He outlived all the other disciples, and they tried to put him to death according to church tradition, 
and a pot of boiling oil. But John would not die. So instead, they banished him to the distant island of Patmos, an isolated little island out in the middle of nowhere. He was put on a ship, probably in chains. And when he was placed on that island, no one ever thought that they would hear from John again. Maybe even John felt abandoned by God. I don't know. But I know this much. Jesus Christ came to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And the Lord took John into the future, sort of catapulted him into the next dimension. And he saw things that no man had ever seen before. John had a front row seat to the beginning of the tribulation period. He tells us about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, the battle of Armageddon, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. He also tells us about the millennial reign of Jesus, where the lamb and the lion will lie together. And John tells us about that momentous event when heaven and earth all come together again. And he wrote these words down in a book that is simply called Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation means unveiling. So this book is given to unveil, to reveal Jesus Christ to us. And Pastor Greg digs deep into these words of prophecy in Revelation, a book of promises. Tell us about this resource, Pastor Greg. Yeah, I think far too often when we think of Revelation, we we think it's ominous and horrible. And yes, there are some very heavy-duty events described in this book, but it is a book that reveals Jesus Christ to us. It's a book that is filled with promises. That's why we called it Revelation, a book of promises. This is a book you would leave out on a coffee table or by your nightstand, a book that is over 400 pages long. But understand, it's a very accessible book. The way that I wrote it I did so in a way that you can understand what the Bible teaches on the end times, because I know you have an interest in these things, but but I want to help you know how it applies to you. There's not a lot of theological verbiage that will confuse you. Everything is in down-to-earth terminology that you will understand, and it will show you how all of these great events that are in our future apply to you in day-to-day living. I think you're going to love this book from Harvest Ministries that we're simply calling Revelation, a book of promises. Yeah, I think you're right. And we're making this book available to thank you for your investment in the work we do here each day. It's an investment in changing lives for eternity. It's an investment in bringing people to Jesus Christ, as we'll be doing at SoCal Harvest coming up November 5th and 6th. So send that investment today to A New Beginning, Box 4000, Riverside, California, 92514. Or call us at 1-800-821-3300. We can take your call anytime. Again, that's 1-800-821-3300. Or go online to harvest.org. Well, next time, more important words of warning from the message called The Almost Christian. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie.
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.